Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week's guest is Linda Gunter. Linda does quite a few different things, and I think she has quite a few different titles, but one of those is that she is the founder of Love Him, Love Them, which is a nonprofit um, which serves in a few different areas, but one of those is with orphans and um, those in need in Haiti. And her story is just crazy. A little bit of backstory on the interview. Um, She or her uh, organization reached out to me and asked if she could come on and share her story. And I looked in uh, into her story a little bit and I thought she was a great fit. So brought her on the podcast, but didn't really know exactly the story um, that I would be hearing because typically we invite our guests and we know a little bit about their story before they come on the podcast. But I had very little idea what to expect when Linda came on, but right away I was just blown away by her story. I love her personality and the way she tells her story, but she has some crazy experiences, crazy transformation that happened in her life, and then some crazy ways that God has used her and things that he has walked her through. And I can't wait for you guys to hear it as you listen. Some of today's topics are a little bit into the supernatural and things that you read about in the Bible, but you don't really think about happening in modern day times. And so I encourage you as you listen today, if you are uncomfortable with anything or if you struggle with anything, to take it to God and use that as a reason to go to God and discuss with Him and draw closer to Him because that's always our goal. Our goal in this podcast is not to teach, it's not to push any doctrine down your throat, but simply to share stories and to help you be inspired to draw closer to God and reaffirm your faith and what you believe and what you experience um, as you listen to the experiences of others. So I hope you enjoyed the story today, but more than that, I hope you're inspired to really go grow deeper in your faith and your relationship with Christ today. Enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story today. Before we jump into that, do you mind sharing a little bit of context for our for our listeners, just who you are and what you do and where you're at right now? Gosh, that's that's a great question. I'd love to know what it is I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I am the volunteer CEO and co-founder of an organization called Love Him, Love Them. We are 100% volunteer based and we serve Oh, look, there it is right there. Widows and orphans in (laughs) Northeast Georgia and in the country of Haiti. Um, I am a mom. I have actually kids upstairs and my mom upstairs. Uh, My husband is out of town this week. Uh, But the context of where I am, I currently live in an unincorporated area in Northeast Georgia called Gumlog, uh, which I think we have two traffic lights. where uh, actually I can look out my backyard right now and see water. If you swim across my backyard, you'll be in South Carolina. So we're in the South. I, where are you? I didn't, I didn't hear where you're from. I'm in uh, around Denver, Colorado. Oh, wow. So two completely different time zones and two completely different. Uh, it's 101 degrees here today. 101 oh, wow. degrees. 
Yeah. So context for that is praise God for air conditioning, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I currently have 12 children. Wow. Um, uh, four of whom are at church camp this week. Can we get an amen and a hashtag <laughs> for I love church camp? Yes, I do love church camp. And uh, that's pretty much what I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to hear the story of how you got into this, um, how you started Love Him, Love Them, and just what God has been doing in your life through that. So feel free to start wherever you want and just share. Yeah. So first of all, I am not a missionary. I can't stand that word. I feel like that means I got to put my hair up on top of my head and put on a long skirt and a t-shirt. And that is definitely not me. Uh, And anything and everything that I'm doing right now is absolutely nothing that I wanted to do. So the dream for my life was I was going to law school. I was going to become a lawyer and then become a judge. And then i firmly believed I was going to take Sandra Day O'Connor's place as a Supreme Court justice. Well, I do get to settle a lot of court cases, but it is not on a bench. <laughs> it's at my dining room table upstairs, right? <laughs> so the the course of my life and where it has gone based on what I have, and I'm sure everybody else's life goes exactly how they have it planned, maybe <laughs> not, uh, but that's not what happened with me. So I'm going to take you back to 2004 uh, during the Georgia-Florida gang, which if you're from Denver, Colorado, that means nothing to you. But for all of us here in the South, that's a big, big deal. Uh, every uh, Halloween weekend, uh, we there is a big, big game between Georgia and Florida. And in the middle of that game, I got a phone call that my very best friend had been murdered. So the phone call came in from a lady that worked in her basement uh, as a mortgage broker and basically said that uh, her husband took an AK-47 and shot her multiple times and then turned around and picked up a knife and killed her mother. Now, my friend had five children. And so those five children in five minutes lost their mom, their dad and their grandmother. This was on a Saturday, football Saturday, and they literally fell through. I don't know what you call it there, but here we call it defects that takes care of children when things like this happen. They fell through the defects cracks, and in less than 12 hours, they ended up in New York uh, living with my friend's father. Now, keep up with the story. He had just lost his wife and his daughter at the hand of his son-in-law in a double murder, 78 years old, and ended up with five kids overnight. I had met this, I ended up uh, going up for the double funeral uh, to New York, and that was the second time I had met this guy. Basically, at some event, he had come down here, I think, for one of the kids' birthday parties or something. So two years goes by. At that point, I'm a real estate investor. I'm flipping. Ha- I was like, my husband and I were like the Chip and Joanna Gaines before there was a Chip and Joanna Gaines, okay? <laughs> I could tell her a couple of things. <laughs> so we were flipping houses in Atlanta uh, before flipping houses was cool. And we uh, also had a day spa, a day spa here in this small town of Livonia, which we always say it's L.A. We just you know, make fun of it and say it's L.A. Um, and so for two years, I was in contact with these five children, right? I was their best, their mom's best friend. This horrible event had happened. They were literally calling me from New York to settle disciplinary issues. You know, one of the kids would call and say the other one knocked me down the stairs. The other one was getting get mad because something was happening. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like 50 hours away. Can somebody not closer to you take care of this? And so as I would walk the oldest daughter through, uh, stay on the phone with her till she would make it to the laundromat and back. They were living in Queens Village, New York. And so uh, one day 
that man, my friend's dad called me and said, Linda, he had found out he was terminally ill. And he said, Linda, he said, I have reached out. Now, the one part I didn't tell you is my friend was Haitian. I didn't know she was Haitian. I just thought she was black. (laughs) I didn't realize she was from the country of Haiti, which, by the way, never even knew where Haiti was. But obviously her children were Haitian. So this man calls and says, I have reached out to all of our relatives, everyone in France, everyone in Haiti, everyone in the United States. No one will take all five children. So you're my last phone call, Linda. And if you don't take these five kids, I'm going to have to split them up and put them in foster care. Well, I'm sure you can imagine what my godly Holy Spirit filled answer was. I said, dude, you picked the wrong chick to make the last phone call to. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking, right? I don't have any kids. I don't even like kids. And I don't know. What in the world do you think I'm going to do with five Haitian children, right? I mean, I live in a lake community and that's just not going to mix in real well. And I was just no, 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 no. I don't have a vehicle big enough for them, right? I'm driving a Jaguar, running a day spa. I'm a real estate investor. I can't do this. And my very godly husband overheard that phone call and basically threw the Bible in my face and said, Linda, James 127. And I'm like, James 127, who knows what James 127, I speak all the time everywhere now. Nobody knows what James 127 is. Real religion that God himself considers pure and faultless is what? To care for the widows and the orphans who are in a hot mess. That's the LIV version, (laughs) the Linda International version. And so I basically said, I don't care because I'm not Jesus. Now, if you want to know the rest of that story, there is a book. I don't even have a copy of it in front of me. It's called Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on our website anywhere. It tells the whole story of what happened from that conversation with my husband. Fast forward to the 17th day of the seventh month of the year 2007. And that was the day that the family living in my house went to the size of seven with children the ages of 7 to 17. (laughs) The name of that book is Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops. It was the most difficult thing I have ever done in my life. And I have run multiple businesses. I have gone to law school. I've done super duper investment deals. But oh my gosh, becoming a mom overnight with five kids was insane. I didn't even know where the schools were in our neighborhood, right? That's how (laughs) unequipped I was. I mean, I figured they had schools here, but I didn't have any reason to go to them. And now I had two in elementary school, one in a middle school, one in high school, and one who had dropped out of school while he was in New York that I had to figure out what was going on. We were dealing with everything from teeth falling out to hormonal issues to kids getting their driver's license to, I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, And the only way I knew to run my family was like a business. So I actually have, I think they're right here in my office. I actually have minute books. So if you have any old people that listen to your podcast, uh, there's a thing called Robert's Rules of Order. And that's how we did our meetings. We have little minute books. We had a secretary. We had to make motions. And fast forward a couple of years, I think it was 2000 and yes, 2010, I made a motion at our December, at our November family meeting. And I said, because I'm going to be very honest with you, when you have five children that everybody considers are victims because of these horrible things that happen to them, Christmas time becomes very monotonous, right? Everywhere you go, everybody, I mean, even with five kids, if everybody gets one gift, that takes a minute to open those up, right? So here you're going to this family's house, that family's house. And I just got to the point where Christmas 
made me just sick. I was like, I just don't really think this is what God considers his birthday when we're going around getting all of these gifts and opening presents and blah, 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 blah. On top of that, I didn't really feel like these kids were very grateful to me for taking them in. So I had this brilliant idea. And at our November 2011 family meeting, I made a motion. And I said, I make the motion that this Christmas, nobody gets nothing. And instead, we're going to take all the money that we would normally spend on Christmas and we're going to Haiti. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, and you kids are going to be so much more grateful to me and thankful to me for everything I have done and how I have saved you from being deported to this country, right? Because nobody else wanted them. So I couldn't get a second to the motion, but we had a whole lot of discussion because my kids were like, girlfriend, do you know how many presents I get and what, how, how this is a good time for me at Christmas, right? <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to buy in. And then at the last minute, my youngest daughter at that time, Jazzy, she perked up and she was like, all right, I'm in. I'll go. And one by one, they agreed. Well, now I've never been on a mission trip before. I'm not a mission trip kind of girl. I'd much rather stay at the Holiday Inn or use my husband's Holiday Inn points. <laughs> I didn't know how to plan a mission trip. I didn't know what I was doing. That part of the story I'll save if you want to read the book to see how uh, we do have spiritual warfare. That was one of one of the times that I was uh, very engaged in that to try to get my family to Haiti. But suffice it to say, Christmas my five Haitian children, myself and my very white husband got on an airplane and we went to Haiti. We got off the plane and freaked everybody out. Nobody could understand. They didn't know if we were social workers or what was going on. We still get that to this day. But we met a man there who took us around Haiti. We came prepared to help 17 girls. That was the orphanage that we were supposed to help. So we had all the gifts for the 17 girls. And we now run that orphanage, by the way. Uh, We stayed in a guest house, which we currently run that guest house. That's our guest house now. And while we were there that week on Christmas Day, the gentleman who was taking us around said, Linda, I've got one thing that's not on our agenda. Well, that just messed (laughs) Funny how we started this call, right? About time. (laughs) That messed me up. I was like, not on our agenda. What do you mean? We didn't plan for this. This is ridiculous. And he was like, I've got a family that I want you to go meet. And uh, and I was like, no, we're not going because we don't have gifts. We didn't plan for that. That's just not going to work. We don't have the time. Blah, 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 blah. And instead, my husband again was like, it's fine. We'd love to go. So we get on the back of this cow truck. And we head over to this place. And the story goes that this was the year, by the way, after the devastating earthquake in Haiti. Right. This is the earthquake was January the 12th, 2010. We're there a year and a half after at the next Christmas. So these kids were the only members of their family who were left from the earthquake. They ended up at this man's house because he was the music teacher in that neighborhood. So they felt they knew him. They knew his wife. So they felt safe. So the guy's telling me the story on the way over there. And he's like, you know, they have 30 kids. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Everybody who had heard my story was like, I can't believe you took in five kids. I'm like, this chick took in 30 kids. You know, I'm thinking she's got to be a nut, right? <laughs> she's, this has got to be over the top. So we go, we get out of the cow truck. And right before we walk into the building, there's this huge pile of trash. And I'm like, okay. But I look closer and there's two little boys and a goat and a pig going through the trash. They're with the same goal. They're looking for food. That messed me up a little bit. So then we have to go up three flights of stairs to get to where these kids are. 
and there's a river running through the building. Leftover damage from the earthquake that still hasn't been fixed. We make it up to the third flight of stairs. It's Christmas Day, 2011. There's no Christmas tree. There's no running water. There's no electricity. And the place smelled like what you would expect if 30 children were running around with no running water, no electricity, no shoes on their feet, kids running around mismatched clothes. We go in, and this was my very first experience with miracles, which if we get an opportunity, I'd love to come back and talk with you about how that's changed my life. We open up the suitcase that we had. And when we walk in, there is a pair of shoes, the correct size and gender for each one of the 30 children that we had not placed in the suitcase. There were Barbie dolls and cars, enough for each child, enough gifts. And that was one of my biggest complaints that I didn't want to go because we didn't have the right gifts. So we sit there, we uh, kind of do what people do on mission trips, blow bubbles, sing songs, let them open their gifts. And I was ready to go, mostly because of the smell and the odor. And so I gave my husband that look and I was like, you know, let's get out of here. And he was like, <laughs> and the man that ran the house saw my gestures. And even though we didn't speak the same language, he called us over to the table and my husband sat down at the table and with an interpreter, he speaks to the man that runs the orphanage and says, my wife and I want to know what is your greatest need? We want to provide your greatest need to you. And he responds back to the translator and says, oh, you just met our greatest need. And I thought, man, let's get out of here. We got a jacked up interpreter. I can look around and see what their greatest need is, right? We have not met anything. And the, so the interpreter asks again, and the man speaks back and he says, my wife and I have been praying for three months. Now, at that point in my life, I didn't know anybody that prayed for three. I didn't know anybody that prayed for three days for anything, but let alone three months, right? We've been praying for three months for somebody to bring us shoes for our children. And you just did. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Holy Spirit or if you've ever had the Holy Spirit work in your life, but the Holy Spirit was stirring up inside of me in a way that I did not feel comfortable about. And I pushed my chair back from the table and I gave my husband that look. And I, again, and I was like, I'm ready to go. Let's get out of here. And the man stuck his hand across the table in my face and said, Mommy Linda, isn't that funny? I'm called Mommy Linda. I don't like kids. Mommy Linda, before you leave, I want for my kids to sing for you. Now, I've been talking to you for a good 10 minutes. I think, you know, I'm really not scared to say anything. I'm pretty bold, <laughs> but I could not figure out how to say, I don't, on Christmas day, mind you, I don't want your little orphan kids singing for me. I'm out of here. Right. How do I say that? So instead, I walked over into the living room and I sat down on a urine-stained daybed. They handed me a four-month-old child that had been dropped off at that orphanage the night before. And those 30 children, the ones that you see behind me, came and stood in front of me and they sang this little light of mine in five different languages. I lost my mind. <laughs> I felt like Jesus Christ himself was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, because I, the, the, re, the problem I had, I couldn't wrap my mind around why they were so happy. <laughs> what they, they had no, nothing to be happy about. And I felt like Jesus said to me, Linda, this is the joy of the Lord. No matter what material things you have or don't have, 
no matter what your circumstances are, this is the joy of the Lord. And Linda, honey, you ain't got it. (laughs) Your joy comes from when your husband does exactly what you want him to, when you want him to, or when these children that you got, these new kids keep their room clean to the level of expectation that you've set. You're not happy about anything. And I walked out of that orphanage that day, a completely different woman. And I told the man that brought us there, I said, you know, somebody ought to bring those kids to the United States. I said, you're probably not going to believe this, but everybody I know in the United States has running water. They have electricity. (laughs) And if they don't have it, there's a way for the government to give it to them. I said, but you know what? They're not happy. They're just not happy. And that man looked back at me. His name is Pastor Maxo. I was just talking to him right before I came on with you. He looked back at me and he said, you know, Mommy Linda, every American I bring here, they say the same thing. But nobody ever does anything about it. Well, we left Haiti. So many other stories to tell. Came back to America. And at our January family meeting, I basically looked at my five kids and I said, okay, what was that trip to Haiti? Was that a one-time thing? You know, are we done with that? What are we going to do? And again, my youngest, Jazzy, at the time, my youngest, I have seven more now. She looked up at me and she said, oh, Mommy Linda, we have to go back. Those children are counting on us. So my family never, never celebrated another traditional Christmas, traditional Christmas in the United States. We went back to Haiti every year and about the, and every year I would go back to that orphanage and I would share with those kids and I would say, you know, here's my dream. Here's my vision. I know it's your dream. I know it's your vision. I said, the only problem is I don't have a choir. I don't have a bus. I don't know how to have a choir. I don't know what to do. And by about the fifth year, I, 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 by that time, I had reached out to every major organization that had any kind of a footprint in Haiti. And I'd said, you know, here's my dream. Here's my vision. And they were like, you're an idiot. <laughs> if you think the Haitian government and the United States government is going to work together to allow you to bring an entire orphanage from Haiti to the United States. You know, I was like, I don't know whose money you're spending, but you need to put it back in their pockets because that's not going to happen. And in 2016, the 30 children that you see behind me got on a Delta flight. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but let me tell you this. Until recently, when you can now swim across the ocean and come here, back in the day, before you could get on an airplane, you had to have a visa. And before you could get a visa, you had to have a passport. Before you could have a passport, you had to have a birth certificate. And before you can get a birth certificate, you have to know when your birthday is. And do you know when your birthday is? I bet everybody in this audience knows when their birthday is. But when you're the only child in your family that is pulled out from underneath the rubble of an earthquake in a country whose administration goes completely defunct, even figuring out birthdays was a very difficult thing for us to do. Yeah. So when those kids stepped on that plane, it was a miracle. They came to America. We had $120 in our bank account. We had eight buses break down on the way to the airport to pick us up. 
We travel from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, all the way up to the White House. And my prayer was that exactly what happened to me on Christmas Day 2011 would happen to every congregation that we sang at and told our story. And that's exactly what happened. We saw miracles. We allowed our children to go out and pray for the congregation. We didn't ever, never told them who to pray for. The Holy Spirit would do that. They each had a bracelet with their name on it and our ministry name on it. We would, they would take the bracelet off and say, I'm going to pray for you. Will you please pray for me? We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> None. And yet that happened three years in a row. We were on tour 2016, 2017, and 2018. And during those three years, those children, we never asked for a penny. All we ever asked was that you feed us. Because as you can imagine, even if you go through McDonald's with the dollar menu, it's quite hefty to be able to feed all those kids. And yet people stepped up and they said, we'd love to sponsor one of your children. We would love to give you a love offering. We would love to do so much more. And in those three years of tours, we went back to Haiti the first year, got them out of that jacked up building they were in, put them in a brand new place, not only with running water and electricity, but also with a computer lab. (laughs) The second year we went back, we realized that once you're 18, you can't stay in an orphanage anymore. And we began building our transition home. Hmm. And the third year that we finished that tour in the middle of a global pandemic where everybody else was shutting down. We ended up opening a hospital in the middle of Haiti. (laughs) Haiti, which the country right now, we are only one of two hospitals that are open because the president of Haiti was assassinated last year. And we've been under gang activity leadership since that time. So a messy, messy murder. Touched by our amazing, amazing Messiah. has now turned into my message. My message, which now includes, we are responsible for over 5,000 children in the country of Haiti on a daily basis. Wow. We have six locations throughout the country and 22 of the 30 children that you see behind me, who are those kids that I saw at that orphanage that day, had the opportunity to stay here in the United States of America. They are currently here on F1 student visas, attending schools all up and down the East Coast. From We have them from fourth grade up to juniors in college. My message to you today is this. What is it that bothers you? There's something that bothers you. It really bothered me when I started to walk back past that pile of trash, which that goat and pig and little boys were, were all in looking for food. What bothers you or what is it that God really, you know, we quote that verse all the time, Jeremiah 29, 11. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. Blah, 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 blah. We think the plan and purpose for God in our lives is to do whatever it is we want him to do, the way we want him to do it, how we want him to do it when we want him to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's not the way it works. God has wired us all for something so much bigger than what we could imagine. And he's got a plan and an exciting roller coaster ride for each and every one of us. But the Bible clearly tells us that the eyes of the Lord have to roam the earth to search, search. 
I tell my kids the word search means like what happens when you can't find the remote to the television, right? <laughs> what you're willing to do to find the remote before you just walk up there like we did in the old days and turn it on and off. But he's got to search to find a heart that is turned toward him that he can use. I often wonder how many other people had God already reached out to, to have the incredible opportunity for the ministry, like what we have right now at Love Him, Love Them, that their hearts weren't turned toward him. My heart wasn't turned toward him. I was a very rebellious, selfish, unbelievable witch is what I was. And yet when I finally decided to be obedient, even when I did not fully understand what in the world the plan was, the same way Moses, when he first stepped into that water, he had to step into the water before it parted. We have to agree to be obedient, even when we don't understand, because God knows the plan. He just needs an instrument. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? He's not here anymore. He needs you. He needs me to be answers for other people's prayers. So that's my story. And that entire story is now in a brand new book called Choir of Angels, which is available on our website and also on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. This book is the story of what happened when these 30 children came to America. It is full of miracles. And the subtitle is How 30 Orphans Changed Their World. Every single person that has picked this book up and has has contacted me after they've read it has not been able to put it down. And what they all say is not only did 30 orphans change their world, reading what has happened through that tour is now changing my world. So it will will change your life when you realize how the Holy Spirit is alive today and how miracles continue to happen. Yeah. And if you're listening, you can look in our description. We'll include a link to that book if you want to check it out. Yeah, that is incredible. Just even I'm sure it's a small part that you shared with me today. And I, I am blown away. And it, the transformation that occurred in your life and in your heart is so evident. Like, I just love everything about that story. And I'm really curious about, you shared this fantastic journey that you went through. And I would love to hear almost the personal side of it with Christ, just what your relationship has looked like throughout the years with Him. Um, maybe kind of how you interacted with God, you know, in the early years, and now what your relationship with Him looks like today. Wow. Huge difference. So I was raised, my mom, who's upstairs, she's 84 years old. Uh, My mom was the piano player at the church and my dad was the music director, right? So I think from the moment I was born and even when I was in my mother's womb, I was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, right? So I knew the game. I knew the words. I was an act team. Y'all probably don't know what that is. I knew the Bible. I knew the Bible verses. I had it all down. But obviously, I was missing a big, big, big part. And now that I look back, I mean, I have a radio show now called Miracles with Mommy Linda. You know, you got to be pretty big, bad, and bold to make sure you're going to have a guaranteed miracle every week, right? So uh, I had to make a deal with God. I was like, let's go. We're going to do this together. So what a huge transformation. And that all happened to me on that choir tour. Because I, so my relationship with Jesus, I had to go to a whole nother level because we had three children on that tour who unbeknownst to anyone had been raised up to take over voodoo ministries. 
Now, if you don't, voodoo is evil. You you see voodoo every day in America. It's just complete evil. That's what you see on the news every day. These children had been raised up to take over that ministry. So when we plucked them out of the country of Haiti and brought them to America, the jealousy, bitterness, rage, and anger of the ministry, of the voodoo ministries in Haiti, uh, not only the fact that those children got to come and they didn't, but on top of that, the fact that we were spreading Jesus and evangelizing mm, took us to a whole nother level, a level that I did not know anyone. I mean, here's the thing. You go get a cup of coffee this afternoon with your best friend is the first word out of your mouth. Hey, girl, have you cast any demons out this week? Huh? Have you healed any sick people? Have you raised anybody from the dead? Yeah, that's in the Bible. Believe it or not. I've read it in the Bible, but I never had the opportunity where I needed somebody to do that. And that's the walk I walked for those three years. Now, I'll just tell you, if you have, if you ever need a demon cast out or know anybody, you can call me. I'll just put it to you like that. And if you want to see how that journey took place, that is in the new Choir of Angels book. So, the 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 relationship that I have with the Lord right now, uh, the 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 truth of what the Bible says, it's not something that I'm memorizing to get a star on my uh, Sunday morning scroll or to be able to check off that I attended church. The relationship that I have with the Lord now is unbelievable. It is a personal relationship. I grasp because I've lived out the book of Acts now. And before it was a book I read. Now, I mean, if you, I'm not going to turn around and let you see my office because it's a hot mess, but there are Bibles everywhere in every different uh, version. I mean, I live my life. I don't leave my home without talking with the Lord. I don't do anything that, you know, the, there's a big, a very popular video going around now. My husband's a pilot and there's a very popular video going around right now where the pilot on a plane passed out and had a heart attack and the people, uh, the passengers had to fly the plane. And the key was listen to my voice. The person on the radio just kept saying, listen to my voice, do what I say. And that's where I'm at with the, with the Lord. I want to hear clearly. I don't want to move. I don't want to act. I don't want to do nothing unless I know it's going to bring glory to the Lord. Matter of fact, I just did a 10 part series called how to pray and get what you pray for. (laughs) So uh, I love Jesus. I love him with all my heart. And I'm so grateful I'm not grateful that my friend is dead. Matter of fact, sometimes I'll go to football games and I think I see her. And I'm like, if she faked this whole thing just for me to have this ministry, I'm going to be really mad at her. I'm not grateful for that. But I'm so grateful to know that I worship a God that can take a hot mess and just wring the mess part out of it and get glory for God. I love that. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like you've only shared just kind of the tip of the iceberg. I I'm so curious now about some of your experiences. Oh, <laughs> but you won't you won't believe it. I will tell you this, the two books are in the process of being put together into a movie. Mm-hmm. And because the other movies that are out now that are making up the supernatural of what's happening, I've lived through it. I have lived through unbelievable. If, if I wasn't there, I would have not. And if we, there weren't 30 to 40 other witnesses that saw what we saw and experienced what we experienced, I wouldn't believe if you told me. Yeah. I mean, we have a little bit of time. I don't know if you're willing to share maybe one good story. If you've got something where you witnessed. Yeah, I'll share. An, uh, sure. I'll share a story. I, I'll 
So one of the most amazing things about the choir tour was this evil that we encountered, right? Okay, so, and when I say evil, I mean, and I don't know how much you, you're aware of what happens with Satan worshiping, but it's very, very prevalent and starts around 12 midnight, goes till about four in the morning. I didn't know that then. So, but what I did know was the choir house where we housed everybody when we weren't on the road was about 35 minutes from me. And it never failed. We would start, we would get a call from the choir moms who were our interns that that uh, were at the choir house at about 12.05, 12.15, just right after midnight. We would start to get these calls. And manifestation of demonic forces in these particular children came out in the appearance of what almost looked exactly like uh, grand mal seizures. Okay. So, and I could tell you, are you familiar with the church in Charleston, South Carolina, where Dylan Roof went in and shot up the entire staff? This happened about four years before we actually sang at that church. That's another great story. I'll have to tell you that one sometime. That that blew my mind. But let's just stick with a, a quick short one. So anyways, we dealt with this over and over and over again. So it would appear as though, I mean, with the exception of hearing strange voices coming out of their mouths, it looked as though they were having grandma seizures. So, of course, we I took them to neurologists. We took them to doctors. We took them to medical, you know, and the same thing happened every single time. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing medically wrong with them. So after about pulling my hair out, finally, one time we had with on tour with us, and I think you can see in one of these pictures, we also had five older guys, some of who were part of the orphanage, but some who were just guys from Haiti. And they finally pulled me aside one day and they were like, Mommy Linda, you are spending all this money and all these doctors time and all these people's time to try to find out what's wrong with those kids. They were like, do you not understand it's a spiritual problem? Those are spells. Before we left with the choir from Haiti, Mommy Linda, the voodoo people came to our orphanage and told us they wanted us to know they were so excited they had learned something new. And I was like, what are you talking about? They said, yeah, they've learned how to astro project. So they they told us that they were going to be able to affect our tour and affect us everything they did because they were going to be able to project the evil from Haiti to America. And I looked at them like they had three heads, right? I was like, the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. There's obviously something wrong with them. We're going to figure out what's wrong and we'll take care of it. But thank you so much. Well, now after about 15 to 25 doctor's visits, and now we're on our second tour, right? So we made it through the first tour, basically with no sleep and trying to deal with this in every place that we went. And by the second tour, I started thinking, I wonder if maybe there's some validity to that. Let me just start looking. So I started looking to see who does cast out demons. Now that's, you try Googling that. (laughs) Even in my neighborhood, right? Even in my area. And so you start looking on there and there's a bunch of weird, freaky looking people, right? So I was like, okay, well, I can't, I'm not going to call a freaky looking person to deal with this freaky thing. And this is really weird. So I, I would, I started going to different people that were, one of them was Catholic, you know, Catholic priests can ex, what do they call it? Excise, exercise, mm-hmm. exorcist, whatever they call it there. They can do that. Like I went to one place and I was like, this is ridiculous. If a Catholic person can do it, I searched the Bible. I looked through the word of God and I was like, it just says right here that Jesus did it, that we have, we have the power to do greater things than Jesus did. So here's what happened. Finally, I found a cute girl on Google. 
whose who's dress matched her shoes. <laughs> and I was like, she looks like she might know what she's talking about. It was Marilyn Hickey. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She's old as like a hundred. She's like a hundred years old. And so I reached out. Not only did I reach out to her, but we ended up getting booked. The choir ended up getting booked at a conference that she was at. How weird was that? Right after I'd found her. So basically I read several of her books and I looked through and you know what it was? It was what the Bible said. It's the, the Bible says that if we are full of the Holy Spirit, that we have that the greater is the power that is in us than he that is in the world, right? Okay, so before that, the end of our second tour happened. And these musicians came back to me and said, you know what, Mommy Linda, we decided we're going to tell you the whole truth. There's a head voodoo priest in Haiti, and he's the one, he's the one who is causing you all these problems. Well, the night before we left for our final tour, for our second tour in Haiti, one of our, we were at a Haitian church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and one of our girls began this manifestation on the bus. I went in to get the Haitian pastors and I had shared what was going on with them because they were Haitian. So they came out. I said, if you want to see what's going on, here you go. They get on the bus. They go back that we had three people who were literally having to hold this child down. That's their, she's levitating on the bus, manifesting in a way that would flip you out. They finally calm her down and she, uh, and she, maybe after 15 minutes, my husband's standing outside of the bus and she comes walking off the bus. And my husband looks at me and he says, that's not her. That's not her. And she told everybody she had to go to the bathroom. She starts to go to the bathroom and makes a wide turn and runs across out of the church parking lot into this major highway. And 25 of our kids go chasing after her to stop her. She runs through a vehicle, literally through a vehicle. The car never stopped, never acted like they even saw them. And 15 cars after that screeched and halted to stop to avoid hitting all of our other children. I went back in when we find, when things finally calmed down. I walked back into the pastor at that church and I said, that's it. I quit. We literally just about had 25 kids die. This manifesting thing has gone on long enough. I can't handle it anymore. I'm done. I'm over. That's it. And that pastor took me and shook me and said, do you not understand? You are the target. You cannot travel to 875 churches in one span of three months time and present the gospel and have people healed and have people giving up their lives, have people stop their addictions to alcohol, restoring marriages. How You can't do that and not expect to have some sort of an enemy after you. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care about any of it. I'm done. I got on the plane the next day, went back to Haiti. I was the only adult on the plane, ended up at the orphanage the next day. And I told the gentleman that met us there, I said, here's the deal. I want this voodoo priest at this orphanage tomorrow. I'm going head to head with him. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> and you can get our book. And there's a chapter in the book that tells you exactly what happened because they refused to bring the voodoo priest there. Mm -hmm. But I'll leave, I'll leave that as a cliffhanger uh, for everybody. If we want to come back and maybe I can tell you the rest of the story, but it is unbelievable what happened. 
Yeah, that is a wild story. And I I know I'm sure some people listening are going to be uncomfortable with that. I'm sure some people are going to hear how confidently you shared that and think, oh, you know, it's just a rehearsed story. But I, (laughs) (laughs) I am, I am just blown away. And I completely, I think that, you know, especially in the US that we do tend to play down the supernatural or it's just, you know, it's just made up and that kind of thing, but really is it's out there. Right. Well, you know, the sad part of that is though, is that Satan knows exactly the same way he knows how to get you versus me. I mean, I do a lot of jail ministry. So I have a lot of women that are addicted to meth, right? If you put meth in front of me, I'm not going to take it. Now, three Reese cups, I'll go down for the Reese cups, right? <laughs> so Satan knows exactly uh that's why he shoot that's why in ephesians 6 we're told that our battle is not against flesh and blood it's against the enemy he knows exactly where to shoot those darts into our soul right same way with countries satan has america so deceived i mean it's very difficult to even speak with a group of christians that one two five out of ten are not on anxiety medicine are not are not depressed you know things that are i mean i just hung up with a, a very strong woman in Christian television who is full of fear right now, right? I mean, and these are things that the Bible tells us how to deal with. And yet instead in America, we don't need to walk by, except for now there is very prevalent Satan worshiping here in America. Now we've got new age, right? New age is very, very prevalent right now. People with crystals, people with uh, the law of attraction. I mean, anything they can do to, to just take the Bible and twist it. But it's so obvious in third world countries. You know, when you walk up on a voodoo priest and they've got powder all over them and all their garb on and they're killing chickens and they're using the blood of chickens to do different things, you know, you can pretty much everybody can agree that might be evil. But in a Christian community right now, if you sit down at a table, even at a Bible study, Christians don't mind telling you, oh, I'm medicated for my, or my, I heard somebody the other day say, my anxiety medicine's not working, so I'm having to add two more. What what does the word tell us about anxiousness? You know, so I, I truly believe as uncomfortable as it may make our audiences feel, we need to speak the truth. And the truth is you can't medicate a spiritual problem. You know, why, why do you think one anxiety medicine doesn't work and another one on top of that doesn't work and another one on top of that doesn't work? It's because the Bible clearly gives us in Matthew 6 what the answer to anxiety is, right? So I think that's why, and, and like I said, if I hadn't experienced it, I wouldn't believe you either. I would think that, the, you know, the stories were crazy, but I lived it along with 30 kids and many other adults who were on tour with us and interns. So we all saw it and it changed our lives forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for being willing to share that and just so honestly and um, not doubting, you know, your witness. And I would, I do want to say on a note real quick that if you are listening and you're you're kind of struggling with like, is that well, that can't possibly be true or real, right? Always, our goal with this podcast is to help you want to draw closer to God, and that's yeah. that's all we want. And so, if you're struggling with this, take it to God, read His Word, pray, ask Him about it, just wrestle with Him over it, and He will give you the truth. And we're not going to claim to be the ultimate authority. God is. And so if yes. this is something that you're, you're comfortable with or struggling with, then by all means, go to God with it and, and ask him to confirm in your soul what is what is true and right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And with the last couple of minutes we have, you shared a lot, obviously, about the state of Haiti and kind of what you've experienced there on a spiritual level. And I would just love to hear from your perspective, um, 
the last couple of minutes, since you spent so much time there, what is the state of the church in Haiti like right now? Like the the saved church, what what is their spiritual state? What kind of things would Paul note about them if you were writing a letter to the church in Haiti? Well, if Paul, it's funny, I just got back from Greece and I just sat right out right in front of the jail cell where Paul and Silas were thrown after they cast the demon out of the girl who was walking around telling everybody, these men are the most high God, right? So Paul was dealing with the same thing. Isn't that funny how we talk all about him? And yet, he, and the funny part about that, I read, I sat in front of where he, in this cell, and I read where it talks about it in Acts 16, and he said he was annoyed and perturbed and tired of her. That's exactly the way I felt at the end of the choir tour. So let me tell you, Paul would be, living right in the middle of what we're going we're dealing with right now. So the state of the church in Haiti, we just hit water 24 hours ago at one of our churches. Um, we've got six different churches and one is in a community where there was no water. There was no community water available. So we had a group of guys that wanted to dig a well. So we raised the funds for that and just hit water after two weeks of drilling. But the, the state of the church in Haiti right now is, remember when COVID hit here and people were getting arrested? Well, we, we can't meet in Haiti right now. We can't meet in Haiti. It doesn't have anything to do with COVID. It has to do with gangs with guns. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, just in the last, I don't even know where we're at now, in July. So it's been a year. It was July 20, or this is June. It was July 27th last year that the president was assassinated. And since that time, Alicia, I have been placed in positions I would have never, ever thought. Now, sometimes when I'm at my dining room table with 12 kids around it, I feel like I'm dealing with gang members and trying to negotiate. (laughs) But I was literally placed in the position that I had to negotiate with this 400 Mawazu gang. The 400 Mawazu gang is who took the 17 Americans that were in Haiti, right? Mm -hmm. So it kidnapped them and kept them for like six months. And there's a whole hoopla about that. But our, our, our ambulance was kidnapped. Our ambulance driver. Now, here's how to show you how prayer works. We have a 24-hour prayer team. And if you need prayer, please contact us. We know how to pray and get what we pray for because God spells that out in the word of God. Many, many things of what we have to do. But our ambulance was the first in a lineup of five different vehicles. And the gang stopped, pulled the drivers out, shot and killed them, and took the vehicles. And the gang member that pulled Eddie is our ambulance driver. The, the gang member that pulled Eddie out, their eyes met and he realized he'd gone to school with Eddie. And instead of shooting and killing him, he threw him in the ditch and said, just run, mm-hmm. just run. The state of not only the church, but of our ministry in Haiti, just three weeks ago, we had a, our, that same cage truck Uh, that my husband and I were on that first time, it's now our cage truck, was full of food. We have food there. We had food in port, but we couldn't get it past the gang to our kids. They went for three days with no food. And so literally the first time we tried to take it through, they they took the whole truck, took the truck, took all the food. Um, We've been dealing with kidnappings, gang members, uh, stealing our older girls, not being able to leave the transition home to be able to go to school because of them of being kidnapped. So if you want to live, if you want to even just live, don't you don't have to be a Christian, but if you just want to live in Haiti right now, you have to look, you, you, most of the time you can't even walk out the door. So we're still in the position right now of trying to figure out how to get food. We're having to use mules, donkeys, helicopters from the Dominican Republic. I mean, we're living out 
our ministry right now is like living out a movie. I know everybody's excited to go see Top Gun, which or whatever it's called, Maverick or whoever, uh, which takes the Lord's name in vain numerous times, which that's neither here nor there for a lot of people. But we're living that life right now in Haiti of having to watch our back, keep our administration under cover. Uh, and our big goal is this. I'll tell you, our biggest prayer request is that a Damascus Road experience will happen for those gang members. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Paul was killing Christians. And so for those people to be killing and shooting and and even after children and taking food from children, our, our goal is that the Holy Spirit will somehow completely consume them, even if it means knocking them blind in the middle of, the, of one of their attacks. Um, it's a You know, the pastor that runs our ministry in Haiti, if he's not Paul, I don't know who he is because he could come to America. He speaks English. He has connections here. And yet he stays in the midst of all of this chaos to care for the widows and orphans. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that is that is a huge prayer request and something I would definitely be praying for. Um, Yeah, it sounds like, you know, if it weren't for God, you know, there would be no hope. But you have the ultimate hope in God. And um, yeah, just thank you. We have to wrap this up now, but thank you so much for sharing so many stories, so much insight into just everything you've experienced and been through and your transformation in the Lord. I know it's been encouraging and eye-opening to me. Um, I always love hearing the stories of people who have experienced something just drastically different than me in their walk with Christ. Um, So thank you again for your time and for sharing today. And um, Again, if you're interested in hearing more or reading more about the story, I'll have the link to that book in the description of this episode. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to love Him and love them. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.